Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, December 16th. This is episode 77. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're back. We've only got one more episode after this until the start of 2019, the year of the Eclectic Gamer. I've already called it. That works. But what has happened during this trail end of the year over the last two weeks, Tony? Anything? Oh, an amazingly large amount of stuff has happened. Mm-hmm. Case in point, though nobody can see it right now, my laptop arrived. It is. It's huge. It's uh, much bigger than mine. Mine it, has it's laptop a, envy. Yeah. Well, it's a. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it so far. It's going to let me do a lot, uh, including, obviously, having a laptop here instead of having to use my phone for all the notes and looking everything mm-hmm. up and everything. It was very... He'll be much faster now. So, it, it, can, it'll, it'll be a lot better and make me tell. a lot happier. Um it's going to let me stream. I wanted to this week, and life got in the way. And mm-hmm. I got to stop letting life get in the way of that. Life finds a way. It does. That is what we learned from a mathematician long ago. Yes, it, it it does. It finds a way. But I mean, other than that, it's been I've been playing a lot of Spider Man. Uh, that game is getting more and more enjoyable actually as I play through. Uh, which has been pretty surprising to me, but it's been a pretty good couple of weeks all in all. I mean, we've dealt with some sickness in the family and, and this and that, but it's the time of year for that. So how have Mm. you been? Oh, fine. Uh, I went back to work. I had after our Casey game con, which was our last episode, I actually had most of that following week off up through recovery time. Yeah. Well, the first day, definitely. And then after that, I had a few other things that I had planned to take off and, and deal with. That was before my boss was put on paid leave. So everything, I probably shouldn't have taken that much time off because it just sort of felt overwhelming to go back on a Friday and try and catch up. But yeah, I did. And over this last week, I'm, I'm, in a pretty comfortable place with all of that. And then more in the realm of what we talk about here on this show. This morning, I was on This Week in Pinball Podcast. I won't have a link to it because it's not out yet. And I'll get this one out first because Zach has a lot of editing he has to do. Holy crap. Were we not appropriate? But uh, inappropriate, so, off target, tangents well, galore. Yeah, there were, yeah, there were a couple, I think. Uh, well, we'll see what survives. We'll see what hits the cutting room floor and what he keeps in because he has a, he has a odd sense of humor. It's Twip's first 12 minute episode. Uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> wasn't that bad. But, um, so I'll just name that here, uh, because then I don't have to remember to link it in the next two weeks show notes. Uh, and I also wanted to point out, it hit yesterday, I'm only a few minutes into it so far, because then we had to start recording, because I'm basically doing back-to-back podcasts today, but Special When Lit Pinball Podcast had an interview with Brian Eddy. It is, actually, Brian confirmed, the first uh, podcast he's ever done. So, kudos to um, to the gents over there at Special When Lit, and that's Bill and Ken, and I have a link in our show notes. So if anyone has happened to not subscribe to them already, go over, go ahead and go over and check it out uh, because Brian Eddy is one of the greatest pinball designers in the history of the industry. And so it sounds like there'll be a lot of it. And Zach had already heard it. So when I was recording Twip, he put in a couple of pieces. He's like, Oh, I don't want to spoil it. And I was like, everyone should go listen to it anyway. So who cares what you. What you brought, what nuggets <laughs> just you do it. in. Just tell, just tell me what you want. Him. Just tell me what you want. I already know everything there is to know anyway. So just tell me what you want and we can talk what about it. What you really, really want. Actually, and actually wanna, one of the things you wanna, you, that was brought up had to do with Shadow and something that I did not know about it. So 
There's stuff to learn. But you already knew that it was better than the movie. I think even people who haven't seen the movie know that. (laughs) So that is what it is. And uh, I guess just here in the intros, as a reminder, we are planning to live stream the next podcast, the last podcast of the year. Now, we're going to do that on our Twitch channel. And I imagine we'll actually do it on Sunday, probably. That's because that's the 30th. So it won't be New Year's Eve. It won't be weird or anything. So that'll be fairly convenient. And what will happen is you don't, no one needs to feel obligated to try and tune into the live stream. If it goes like we normally do, and so we sort of have to play this by ear a little bit because of scheduling and such, but normally, because we don't know if you'll have it right, if it was a snowplow or something. Right. There's always something, it seems like. We normally start recording around noon central, central time, but that'll be on Twitch, and then we will still be recording. Tony's got his fancy laptop. He'll be able to run the stream, and then I'll be running the regular podcast record and we'll still release the episode just like we always do. It'll mm-hmm. be edited just like it always is. So if you want the unvarnished, sloppy, confusing, Dirty, nasty, yeah, that will be available on twitch.tv slash eclectic underscore gamers. But it should be fun. It should execute pretty well. And you know, spoiler alert, just like all our final episodes of the year, it will be our year end review where we talk about some of the major happenings in the hobbies of pinball and video games. We tend to spend a lot of time on pinball in that one because usually there are a lot of mistakes that manufacturers have made and we just rehash all of it because it's what we do. We smash them. We, we crush them. Only with, we only smash with, with truth, love, with truthiness, with truth and love yeah, and justice. We, we don't make up drama. We don't need to in this hobby. It already exists. Yes. So let's move on to the new drama in this current iteration of Pinball News. And let's start with Munsters. Munsters. Yes. So this week in Pinball, hi Jeff, has reported that Munsters Pro is on the production line at Stern Pinball. I do have a link in the show notes to the This Week in Pinball article for people who want to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, Photos of the pins have also come out and they'll also be in the upcoming this weekend pinball because there was some pictures of the line of Primus where you can clearly see there are monsters in the background. So, so on top of all that, since our last episode, there was a big leak of the photos. It appeared to come from a European distributor, uh, based off of a presentation that Gary Stern had given to, I'm assuming a group of them. Yeah. So I've seen those photos, uh, still obviously. There's not a formal announcement from Stern yet, though, with their official Primus line photos showing, you could question, did they mean to leak it? I think at this point, so much has come out, they don't, re- they're not really screening that carefully anymore because right. I think it's imminent. Um, we talked about this last time about when did we think the formal reveal of Munsters would be. I may be wrong about it being December, which was my call that I still thought it would be December, but if they're building and supposedly those pros on the line are for the European marketplace. It has to be close. I think it has you to be. Before, I think it has to be before February. But before February, definitely. I th- I think so. Uh, I don't know how many. I don't know how much preload stock they like to get built up and in place before they actually do their thing. But I would be amazed if it wasn't early January at the latest. Now. I'm not personally very keen on talking about game features 
before they actually do their reveal. I don't really see the point in speculating on gameplay. There's one element, though, I do think I'm comfortable enough thinking we can discuss, and that is the lower... There's been a lot of discussion about upper and lower playfields regarding Munsters. Mm-hmm. It seems the reports are all coalescing around that the premium and LE version will have a lower playfield, but the Pro will not. That seems very ACDC style. Do you think that that is a good idea? I think it's the obvious money saving thing. And as long as they fill the, the, the spot in with something that looks better than what they did on ACDC, mm-hmm. it, it'll be good. I, it, it'll be fine. I don't think it's going to be that huge of a deal. If unless, unless I, I will put a caveat on that. Unless there is just so much in that lower play field that it makes it a fundamentally different game. But I don't see it. Well, and that's, and that's the thing that I'm thinking is I, I don't see the point, actually. If they do it like ACDC, then the lower play field's a joke and they don't need to have a version with a lower play field. If they make the lower play field compelling, then people will be driven towards buying the premium models, which could be good, except the price is so much higher. I wonder if you lose sales because some people will say, well, I'm pro or nothing and I'm not buying some stupid version of uh of the of the game that doesn't have the fun element. I don't know. I can see the argument. But you know I've been I've been predicting that Deadpool actually ultimately moves more units than Munsters. I think so. And but a lot of that could come down to if Munster's a better player and Deadpool isn't the highest bar to pass, then I could be wrong, but I don't think Munsters is a good theme choice. I know some collectors, some hardcore collectors, are adamant that it's an excellent choice. I think the analogies to Adam's Family are terrible. Adam's Family was not based on the TV show. It was based on a very popular movie. This show was like 18th best show of 1963. Right. That's like, It was like three spots better than Adam's Family. But again, Adam's Family TV show was never a pinball machine. I think that the nostalgia factor for this isn't – I think it's a minority of people making it seem bigger than it is. Right. And I, I agree with you. I think that this is another one of those situations where you have a very, very vocal minority while the vast majority of people who buy don't actually care about the theme. You're looking at people who are going to buy this machine because they buy every machine. Exactly. I think that this is – these people who are saying Monsters is a great theme are people who would have bought – this if it was Jaws, or would have bought this if it was uh, Hudson Hawk or anything else. Oh, man. Hudson Hawk. We had this discussion yeah. at Pinball yesterday. There's old 80s movies that... That's the one. I didn't name it, but that's the one that came to my mind immediately. Yeah, I could see that. Hudson Hawk would have been interesting. A terrible movie uh, I, that I loved as a kid. Right. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, what was wrong with me? I was very not smart back then. <laughs> Very not smart, good, That's, bad, on. Yep. yep. Oh man, Kung Pao Enter the Fist. That would be a great pinball machine. But that's not an eighties. I know That's it's not nineties either. No, That's, it's the two thousands. But it would still be great. It would be fun. And if Steve Odekirk didn't want to do the voices, maybe I could still do a few of them. Probably <laughs> not. It's getting harder. Um. Next topic: Deep Root. This came out just after. Everything comes out just no, after. No, the Monsters thing wasn't just after. That one was just a little bit ago. The Like the photos of Primus showing it. So it's not everything. It just feels that way. Uh, Deep Root Pinball is not going to be doing their big reveal at Texas Pinball Festival 2019. Robert Mueller announced that they won't be ready in time. 
when pressed by This Week in Pinball, which, again, this article also has a link. It's a separate article. Yep. In the show notes, uh, there is no revised date for a reveal. He was asked if it would be 2019, and he wouldn't even commit to that specifically. What are your thoughts? What's going on down there in Texas, Tony? I am disappointed, but not surprised. Because I always felt that with the way they were pushing things and the way they were talking about things, that they might have been assuming parts of the the project and the buildup were going to be a lot easier than the reality of it. It seems to be an ongoing thing in pinball in general that most people seem to assume that the actual manufacturing is the easy part, the hard parts, the design and all that stuff. But manufacturing is a very complicated thing. And I honestly think most of their issues are probably on that end of things. Um, I'm leaning that way as well, though. He he just – uh, the language was vague in the sense he was, right. he said there were some pieces that they were having trouble putting together. I, I don't think they meant literally. But <laughs> well, but there was some reference to making sure all of the, the features, the innovations they were doing would work right. So right. I've also wondered if there's a little bit of disc gate. To reference Pirates, be. Jersey Jack Pirates, and something mechanically that they're struggling with longer. Uh, but Physics getting in the way of, of what they want. Maybe, but, but in their case, rather than chucking it and saying, no, we're just gonna, we're just gonna change the mech to something common and basic and uninspired, they might be saying, still at this point, let's double down and make it work. We need this. We need to show the amazing power that Deep Root brings to the table. The question, of course, becomes whether is this do does buying time get them to the solution? If that's indeed the hangout, it might. I mean, some things that just require more time and more money thrown at the wall to get to where you're going. The question is, will they be able to throw enough time and throw enough money before they run out of either? Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of that whole time, quality, money pick two, right? And that's sort of the, the state that it finds. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm probably more surprised than you. I'm a bit surprised that they, because they hyped up the five days of deep, like, I don't even understand if the five, are the five days happening before TPF or is it going to be four days of deep root and then the fifth day is delayed? Are they, it's everything, is there still a plan to do this five day spread out or is it now just going to have to be one Uber day whenever they finally get around to it? Or are they, I mean, is the marketing plan changing? I would have leaned, my expectation had always been more that they were going to possibly have to reduce the number of games they revealed. That's what I thought. I thought they'd still be at Texas, but if anything, they'd just be like, we're doing Fire and Brimstone and we're doing like two of the J-pop games and that, which is everything else. In, is, instead is, of coming yeah. out with their initial, they were talking about having what, like five I games at launch or something like know. that. I've never understood that strat, the strategy necessarily behind it because of the whole concern about you possibly, possibly, because I don't really know the, how exactly the economics work of it, but people are often worried about sabotage. Like the big talk right now is when will JJP announce Willy Wonka? Is that going to, is that going to sabotage the sales of pirates? Did the announcement of pirates sabotage the sales of dialed in? Those are the questions. Like the same thing about why isn't Munsters revealed yet? Was it because they did not want to undercut Deadpool? You know, those sort of things. Right. And, and Deeper does not seem to express a concern with that. Now that may have to do with their model 
It may have to do with the ability to that they're not planning to make a whole lot of any of those particular games. So we might as well have a half dozen. Right. There'll be like 200 of each. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. They've been vague. And that's understandable. It's probably smart in comparison to like Jersey Jack, which I think comes out way too soon with everything. And then they just look like they're really slow. Yeah. And it makes them look like they're flailing as they try and maintain interest in their games as they release them a year and a half after they were mm-hmm. supposed to release. Well, and if you want, we can, as a mini transition, this isn't in our sh- in our list of notes that, of talking about, but this will come up because of this week in pinball podcast. I'm aware of what's going to come up on the discussion, and that is regarding Jersey Jack's next plan. So to give you a little bit of background, Tony, the rumor mill, the spot, Jeff's spies are reporting to him that Willy Wonka is the next game from Jersey Jack, followed by Toy Story. Now, Toy Story's got their new movie coming out at the end of June 2019. Like, the release date's already known. Right. The plan is actually that Jersey Jack will reveal, I guess, ready to go, Wonka at Texas. And then Toy Story comes out early fall, a little bit after the Toy Story movie. Here's the thing. What's the th- what's the thing, Tony? Tell me about the thing. That sounds like a really good plan. Does it? I think it doesn't. You don't think so? Do I think it sounds like a really good plan because it sounds like something that Jersey Jack would really deeply hope to do is to come back and try and make up for their issues and their known issues by saying, look, we put two games out. We're awesome. I don't think the plan's going to happen because it's not going to work. Hmm. Because I don't think they've got the capacity and the capabilities to actually sit on a game and walk out at something like Texas and say, here's this game. It's ready to go. You want to buy one? Buy it here. It's ready. The best I see with having is getting an announcement. Maybe come late summer, the game might be available. Maybe. And then they'll make an announcement for Toy Story, and then we might see it maybe this year. Maybe. I I would like it if they surprised me, but let's be honest. Nothing in Jersey Jack's history makes me think they're going to surprise me. I expect to find out an official release where they'll go and have, oh, look, here's playable versions of Willy Wonka. Cool. So when do I get this? Oh, two years from now. Okay. It wasn't two years for Pirates. It was a year and a half. And it wasn't two years for Dialed In. That was only about half a year. Yeah, Dialed In was impressive. Dialed mm-hmm. In gave me hope, and then Pirates murdered the hope. Okay, well, let me give you a little more information. The 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 rumor mill, the spy network, whatever it, whatever the source is, dun, is dun, indicating dun, 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 Willy dun, Wonka dun, dun, is Pat Lawler's. It will be a standard width pin. No. No. Oh, my God. Oh, people didn't see the visual of you tearing your face mask off. Oh, God. Um, and underneath that was Pat Lowell. And then Eric Munier will be doing the Toy Story. And it will be a, a traditional wide body style. Traditional in the JJP sense. Um, here's why I don't like the idea. On another interview, I think it was on Head to Head Pinball. Mm-hmm. Jack of Jersey Jack Pinball said, ideally, he would like to be on a nine-month incubation cycle so baby basically baby birth cycle right i think given their production line and size of company that makes a lot of sense to me this proposal is not that this proposal 
is a three-month differential. And I'm saying three because, while I mentioned to you early fall for the Toy Story game, if they actually want it out with the movie, that means it's late summer. Right. Texas is late March. April, May, June. That's the release. That's three months. Right. And here's the thing. And it it's something I could see that it could happen if Wonka was on the line and they were building supplies now. Except for all the issues with pirates means pirates is the only thing on the line right now. Well, in theory, all the past games are available on the line as needed as well. And I don't know functionally how that actually executes. But my issue is, if you were to follow the nine-month rule and they actually got Wonka ready, available for purchase and ship at Texas, that still means Toy Story should be a December pin. Right. By their own... I mean, by their owner's own planned schedule. So this seems very aggressive. I completely share all your concerns that I don't think that they can get production ready in time. I just don't think they've ever demonstrated much success at actually putting things on the line. Dialed In was their best success at that. Pirates was a step backward, a fairly serious step backward, though not on the timeline to the degree that things like Hobbit were. Right. But I just... I also wonder if, in their case, their pens are very expensive. We're talking near on $10,000 for these things. Does it cause a problem for Pat Lawler, just like it did with his dialed-in, to have Willy Wonka, which I think for Jersey Jack is a good theme, and then have Toy Story come out so soon afterwards? Especially if you know both are coming. I... How many people out there are a, I buy two JJP pins in a year if I had the option? I mean, that's like 20 grand. I just don't think, I don't think the percentage of the hobby that collects actually collects at that level as much as say, maybe Zach from This Week in Pinball podcast, when you get a chance to hear that, he seems to be much more in the line that they're, the only reason they don't buy as many JJP pins is that JJP just doesn't produce enough pins. But if you actually release more than one a year, people would gobble them up. I'm a little more skeptical. There's obviously a percentage of this hobby right. that's equipped to do that. But I, when I read forums, a lot of the people I see talk about JJP, talk about the perceived quality, talk about the depth of the code, talk about the excitement of the themes, but they acknowledge that it's a big deal for them to get one. Right, And how many of them sell their old one to make up the vast majority of the money to buy a new one? I don't know. A lot of them don't have one period yet because they've been waiting for years for Toy Story. And they're going to keep waiting. (laughs) Probably. Here's what I feel should be done. Wonka should not be the first pin. Toy Story should be announced at Texas. Hopefully it's ready by the time the movie's out. That would be the because then at least you can do some idea. you can do some tie-in stuff. Even if it was entirely themed around the first Toy Story, doesn't matter. It's just like Ghostbusters. While the movie studio preferred Ghostbusters to have been themed around the new female Ghostbusters, it just having the same title was still advantageous from their perspective, mm-hmm. from a marketing perspective. Hey, Ghostbusters is on everyone's mind. Oh, we should go see the movie. Look at that cool pen that makes us remember we love Ghostbusters. You know that was. That was what it was, what it was. And I don't know what the license deal with Disney's going to look like regarding Toy Story. And is it going to have the fourth movie in the pit? I don't know. I don't care. You don't need it. You don't need any of you have it. It doesn't need to have spoilers or anything. I mean, I don't know what assets they're getting. Jersey Jack has not traditionally impressed me with which assets they've acquired, but I'm mostly thinking of pirates because 
as a back of the head. Yeah, as a we can't use any of the characters on a franchise that is past its prime. It's kind of like that wasn't a particularly great licensing deal in my view. But what do I know? I'm only a non-expert on licenses. I was going to lie and say I was brilliant about licenses, and I was like, no, that's not true. Let's not let's not do that. So let's actually move to the next and uh, kind of final news topic that I have in the pinball section for us to to banter about, and that actually is the Twippies. That was Final Fantasy sound. Sorry. I was going to do more fanfare, and then I just shifted. Um, it's just natural habit. It is. So dun, 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 dun. the uh, Twippies are the This Week in Pinball awards that they give out for a whole host of things. I'd say the main awards are really to recognize the best pinball machines in various categories. Which makes sense. But they also have a number of sub awards that they give out that have last year they were done in a in a write in fashion, like best podcast, best YouTube, YouTube channel, best Twitch streamer. Best mod. Uh, yep. Uh, yep, exactly. So a lot of those categories are back and they also have announced that there are going to be some new categories as well. And they've also announced that not everything yet is announced. So it's very, very confusing. Um, I wanted to weigh in a little bit uh, in terms of, of what these things are. So let me go ahead just quickly and run through the game specifics so of the quote unquote main awards. Best animations and display. Mm-hmm. Best light show. Best theme. Best toys and gimmicks. Best theme integration. Best music and sound effects. Best callouts. I think that segregation may be new there. Yeah, that, I think so because I think that was part of the sounds and stuff mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Best rules. Best playfield gameplay and layout. Best artwork and game of the year. They need best buy. Best buy. <laughs> yeah. Best value. <laughs> best value. Yeah. Put that. You know, we're going to talk about what we think should be <laughs> in actually, and then let me do the the what they're calling the the write ins. Um, favorite mod of 2018. Favorite pinball YouTube channel, favorite pinball Twitch streamer, favorite pinball podcast, favorite homebrew pinball machine. That's new. Favorite pinball location, favorite location pinball. Let me rise right. That's new. Favorite pinball convention. That's new. Favorite pinball tournament. That's new. Rookie of the year. That's new. So a lot of new kind of subcategories. Uh, Some of them I'm less than pleased about. But. Well, and note they. Jeff has acknowledged that it's subject to change. More categories may be added and descriptions uh, may be added with voting options. Now, first, regarding the write-ins, let me, because this is our platform, so let me start with what I think should change regarding the write-in process. And actually, because I was on with Zach, I, I spoke with him afterwards about this. I don't, I'm very much not a fan of write-in votes I think it can, it's, it's hard to count. It's hard right. to calculate. What I would recommend they consider doing is actually, if they plan to launch the real, the final voting at the start of the year, take a week. It doesn't have to be long, a couple of weeks or whatever here at the end of December and have write in nominations for the writing categories. Then they have a committee now that's doing the assessments. Yeah. Tally those up and take your top six or eight or whatever threshold you set, arbitrary threshold, probably the same threshold for all of these, and then present those as radial drop down vote options like you do the games 
when the big bulk voting happens. That way you thin the herd and you don't have to count up all the write-ins at the, I mean, because there are going to be all sorts of weird misspellings and just crazy stuff going on for things like best podcast and best mod. And this way you use your committee, you curate it. You'll probably have less volume during the pre-vote nomination period anyway. And it's just a good way so that people don't feel overwhelmed because I could see where Jeff and the team that's working on this won't want to take it upon themselves to generate a curated list because you could make accusations of bias factoring in, like they left us off because, I mean, if they had a rule, like said, well, we just left off any mixed gaming podcast, that'd be perfectly fair in my view. But right. but that might make all of our fans mad. So you do a write-in. Torches and pitchforks. So you do a write-in for the nomination period, but then if we didn't get enough nomination votes, it's like, well, we didn't have a chance, so just have a list so I can drop down and choose head-to-head. Right. That's my thinking. So I, re- I, so if y'all are listening, I really recommend you do a write-in as a nomination period. You still let everyone have their say. It'll work great. And you I can do, do it before Jan- do it before January. Just open it up for like ten to fourteen days or whatever. Almost all the votes are going to come in in the first week anyway. Um, and so that would be my recommendation on how they change the approach. Uh, they've already announced their approach change. Sounds like the votes will happen as of the start of the year. Normally, it'd already be going by now. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to announce them live at Texas Pinball Festival. Do you have any thoughts on the format change? I think it works. I think <clears throat> you'll get more of an interest by having a live event that people can attend than having just the video uh, streamed YouTube thing. I, I agree with you. I think the only real negative to this approach, and they are planning to try and live stream it from Texas. It, it is a bit late in the year. It's about a month later than the Oscars does their awards. Mm-hmm. So it late March is a tad late for talking about the prior year stuff, but I don't think it's a big deal. I think people will be cool with it. And I do think, I agree with you. I think it's going to, it'll whip up more interest than how they did it the first time. Of course, it's more known now. So, right. So let's talk about categories, either the, the game categories or the quote unquote write in categories. Is there anything you don't like in these lists? That you think's inappropriate. I don't really like best mod. Why? <clears throat> because, frankly, I think the vast majority of mod... It's because, honestly, I think the only mod with enough pull for it, it to even have a chance is going to be the Penn Stadium stuff. Okay. Well, if, that's, a, that's a fair point. I mean, the other things would be it's color, just- L- color DMD. Right. That's pretty broad. I mean, there are only a few mods that actually go into, like, lots of machines. Exactly. And I think though they have a... It's the same way I feel about the um, best tournament. I feel like the best tournament is just a... It's a giveaway. I, I would be 100% shocked if best tournament isn't Penberg. Well, and I and I agree with that. That's a good. That's a if Pinberg doesn't get like ninety percent of the vote, I'll be in shock. Well, mathematically, <laughs> Pinberg should automatically win. It's the most attended tournament. Period. Right. So it's got more people at it, and it's so popular that I know, like uh, Jeff with uh, the Pinball Players podcast, when he has guests on, he asks them what their favorite tournament is. He adds a qualifier. Other than Pinberg, what's your favorite? Tournament? Right, because everyone says Pinberg. So yeah, it's a it's a gimme. There's no competition in that category. Shouldn't even be a write-in. It should be one radial option that says Pinberg. Right, because that's all that that's that's right. what it's going to be. Right. Whereas pinball convention, I can definitely see there will be multiples fighting for that. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to be a gimme that Texas will win that. Expo might win that. 
I won't allow it, but it might. <laughs> It might try. Sure, it's it's, it's possibility. Right. Well, yeah, you know, well, and and now like here's free, a, free play. Florida might win it. I don't know. Now here here's a, a Indisc might win it. Uh, 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 not Indisc, but the uh, what's the no Indisc could. Yeah, uh, I know there's some kind of tournament format things that I've watched in the past uh, where they set it up so that once you win, you can never you can never take part again. Hmm. Interesting. So that's something I could see as a format change, or at least putting putting anything that wins on a cooldown timer that just it doesn't. T- you can't take part the next year at the very least. Do you think that uh, as small as this hobby is, that that's ideal? No, I just think Pinberg. I just think the the part the thing shouldn't best tournament shouldn't exist, or Pinberg should be excluded. But do you also think that maybe that it's nice to recognize a favorite pinball tournament? Because there's nothing inherently special about Pinberg that couldn't be duplicated by another group if they so chose. I mean, Pinberg works because they have a nonprofit that owns a bunch of machines that then organizes the event. But anyone in theory could organize a bunch of machines and try and do the same thing. They just don't. I think at this point... Penberg is so locked into the mentality mm-hmm. of the hobby. It is such a major part of the hobby that I think, I don't think another tournament could come in and take it. I don't think it could come in and take that top spot. I, I, I can't really fathom it, but. I mean, they'd literally have to have more machines and more space and more this and that and somehow get all those people to come to it. Mm. And it's not going to happen because all those, a lot of those people, they can only do one big major thing a year and they go to Penberg because it's Penberg. Right. Right. I mean, it, I mean, we, we could fill Bartle Hall here in Kansas City with pinball machines if we could somehow find them and throw to the hugest tournament ever and we probably still wouldn't be Penberg. It would be hard, but I could conceptually see it. The, here, here's the, re- I'll tell you the recipe. Here's the recipe. You add a, de- it's a longer, it's one more day. So now it's a bigger Pinberg. That's the strategy. I'm not saying that you can, there's not a better than Pinberg formula. You just have to take Pinberg to 11. That's the strategy right now. That's the low hanging fruit. You're just like, we're Pinberg 1.5. <laughs> we multiply, everything's 0.5 more. We have 0.5 more games. We have 0.5 more days, 0.5 more money. I don't know how you do any of that. I'm just saying, I, I, on paper, I could tell you, here's how you beat Pinberg. You do everything Pinberg does, but more. You let more people I know in. exactly how you do that. It's money. Mm-hmm. If you've got enough money, you can just throw money at it until you Let's win. Let's have Josh rededicate the dollar IFPA fees to make IFPA-berg. If Burr, if Berg. Right, but then but then, then it's already a tie-in because you're, you're stealing the name. Well, I am, but we could we could change that. The Grand Slam Masters uh, match play format with strikes and spares and if but. And if but. I don't know. Something like that. Okay. So those are the ones that we think are kind of quite. Yeah. I I mean, it is, it's a gimme. So yeah. that, that one was a little, I thought it was a little interesting choice. Uh, what about the categories that are missing? I mean, they've really broadened this up, especially in the write-in section. However, while while you go about broadening things up, there are... And again, they've noted they've not picked everything yet. There, are, I think, are some interesting missing categories in this still. So I'm going to give you one that I'll start with that I thought was sort of interesting. 
we recognize moving pictures. Why aren't we recognizing still photography? Is it too niche? There are people I who go think and so. I, I think that's I mean, I, I that's the see, argument I think would be made. I I mean I I could see, I mean so but we're recognizing best tournament and there's only one that's going to win. I mean like Gene X does a lot of photography at tournament, but you also have people that take photo. I mean I'm just again if we're thinking about what are the arts that get applied to the various medias get applied to the medium of pinball. Best photographer wouldn't it would fit. I mean it, it would fit, but I almost wonder if that wouldn't fit better if you took not just be, not not just as best photographer, but maybe flipped it and went for something like best social media presence type thing. Hmm. So you throw Interesting. in because because the most people anymore when they're looking at the photography stuff, this and that, they're looking at it. It's all on yeah, and that's it's, where it's, I'm, it's that's Instagram where, and Facebook and this it. and that. So best I wonder, social media influencer, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, and now here's one that touches on me. So I, of course I saved it for second, so I didn't seem quite so biased. Uh, why isn't their uh, Why isn't their favorite author? Because Tom Clancy's already dead. I know. It's sad. But favorite pinball author, which he never wrote in, to my knowledge. Because the Ruskies weren't trying to undermine us. <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, this is the one, obviously, that I, I most associate with. For those who are not longtime listeners, though, I've written a number of articles for the last couple of years, really. Um, and I'm not the, and it's not, just, it's not just articles. Uh, later on, we're going to talk about pinball magazine number five. So there's mm-hmm. print, there's print articles, there's print interviews, there's books like Todd Tucky's book. Okay. And there was a big backlash about how that turned out, but conceptually shouldn't an effort. There's Stern's left- coffee table book. Yeah, well, well, it didn't come out, but conceptually, <laughs> is it not a category? You're recognizing people with you. Sorry, Zach. You're recognizing people with YouTube channels. Most of the information gathered in pinball that people consume is written at this point, not video. So why isn't it on this list? It seems glaring to me. The only thing, and again, because I've heard from some people that have been helping on this, that I understand why it's not yet been determined is that there's been a struggle with the phrasing because there's the concern about, well, do you do best book and then best article and then best interview and then best opinion piece? No. This isn't a bunch of literary awards. Here's what you do. You choose favorite author. That way, no one's competing against themselves if they wrote multiple things. And if it's unfair that people who wrote articles are put up against people who wrote books, tough. I mean, it's just an award. Who cares? But but the category is a glaring omission. I definitely think that it's a glaring omission. This weekend pinball site revolves around having our, I mean, yeah, he's mostly summarizing the news, but it's still article. I mean, you could construe it as articles. He runs guest articles. Pinball news runs articles. Uh, Credit.pinball is an article site. Pinball magazine is full of article. It's just, it's really weird not to have anything for writing. Uh, at this point. So I'm hoping that the committee who I'm sure is listening intently to me right now, uh, you know, it should be in there. If you want to disqualify me because I pushed it, go ahead, but it should be in there. You should be recognizing people who take the time to write. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely think that it definitely, 
has a place in there, even more than like I said, the the, the photographer or social media well, presence. I, this right. that. I think I, that I, I see has the, a I bigger... see the challenge on the, on the photographer. I do. Now, now here's another one though that I think is glaring. Website. There are a lot of key, because there it's a key resource. So I segregate it from writing because it depends on the website. But you have forum sites like Tilt Forums and Pinside. You have things like the IPDB, yeah. massive resource site. You have things like the IFPA website, massive resource for tournament scheduling, finding tournaments. You've got play, things like Pinball Map. Those are web-based tools, which I would just say favorite website to encapsulate right. them. It seems weird not to have them. Now, again, my sources indicate that the struggle hasn't been that websites aren't worthy, but rather do you – if you just said favorite website, is it not like the pinball tournament thing and then Pinside just wins because everyone's on Pinside? Would it be better to go with with um, best resource? I I like I like the idea, but without a definition, like are we going to have like a three sentence definition beside? Or are people going to know what that means? I, no, that's a valid point because I just it's now, one of those things. Now that, that may be okay if they do what I suggested at the start of this, and is they run like a nomination write in period, and then they just let people in the main voting choose based off of what the early adopters sort of sent in, what are considered best resources. I like that idea because you could say in the write-in, I think you get away with having more specificity in these things like saying, well, you know, best social media influencer would be things like good Instagram posts, good use of photos, Facebook, Twitter, all that. And then on this, you can say things like web resources, apps like Pendigo, right. things like that Pindigo, could be, could be, included, map, could be included with IPDB. that. Sure. And then like on author, you could do things like uh, books, articles, magazines, uh, editorials. You could explain a little better if it was sort of broken out like that. So in that case, yeah, I think the idea would be, I, I would agree with you. Start with resources, see what you get out of it. And then. If the hobby gets to the point where it feels like, well, phone apps are like their own thing and there are enough of them to be worthwhile. Right. Then in 2020, you could discuss if you need to make another modification towards that. Yeah, because like you said, I'm just, I, I mean, the concern that, that forums will dominate that type of just view a website. Yeah, I think. And, and again, I understand that they probably don't want to, it's not a bunch of awards for the web. So they probably don't want to end up with like five different awards, recognizing different types of websites. Right. And I don't blame them. But I could see splitting forums and everything and putting everything else under resources. I could, I could, but if they only want one award, I think you still put something in resources or websites or whatever right. rather than be like not put anything in because it's too hard for you to carve it up if it's if it's too hard to carve up don't carve it up trust your voters to carve it up makes sense and then go and then you can work with whatever however it doesn't matter if it's unfair it doesn't matter if it's unfair you guys already chose favorite pinball tournament which doesn't make any sense so you've just got to accept the fact that you've already done like you've already accepted like, what, unfair what is rookie of the year I don't even know how you would – how would you choose I that? asked someone what they thought Rookie of the Year was and they told me that the intent, they believe, is best new designer. Well, that's not what it says. But if that's the case, then it's either Keith Elwin or Eric Munier. Those are the only two that would in theory be eligible because they're the only two that are brand new this year. Scott Denisi was last year. Right. So – but it's not – why is but that, even, it, a, why is that it, even a write-in? But would it be best uh, – for rookie, would you consider 
a new person on coming into the competitive scene because typically when you think rookie you'd think of something like that based off of how it's described in this article yes i would have thought it was anyone who's new to the hobby and did something something enough that i would know to write their name in right it's it's a weird one i'd Uh, probably shed it honestly yeah i think i would too just Uh, because i feel like it doesn't Settle in quite right. Right. If 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 the intent is actually like rookie in the industry of the year, then I really think the committee should not open that up to write-ins. It should be like game specific and it should be a bunch of drop downs. And you should have gone through and looked at the recent employees that had something come out. And Makes that sense. means new artists and stuff. That's fine. But uh, that is too nebulous to trust to a write-in situation. Uh, again, if you want to go with like the nomination write-in period, that's probably a happy medium to kind of play it safe. But it's I, I've been in this hobby for years. I am having trouble interpreting what that means. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's I don't see what it. it it's so broad that it could. I could think of a bunch of things you could qualify in there, but that doesn't mean any of them will actually qualify in there. Mm-hmm. But anyway. uh that's pretty much all I had to say on it. Now, once the actual like final voting period starts, we'll probably weigh in with what we think are our, our particular picks. Yeah. And probably include what we think will win. Yes, be because I'm pretty sure our particular picks won't be what wins. Well, no, we have to show ourselves some support, of course, but, but yeah, it'll be, so that'll be interesting. I always think it's neat. Awards stuff is neat, uh, because it's, I think it's interesting to see who, who wins what. And I remember like, and it's not just the Twippies, they, but, Jeff has done a really good job getting the the Twippies a lot of exposure. And uh, there seemed to be quite a bit of hi- more hype than I had expected when he did it last year. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. And we'll actually be at Texas. Now I have to decide, do I go and watch the Twippies or do I take advantage of it being super popular and then maybe can get in some reduced lines for some of the new games that are coming out and take advantage? Because, hey, I never have like a little red band to get <clears throat> to stay after hours. Yeah. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes you. You don't get all the. I'd watch that. <laughs> yes. I, wa- I, I watched yes. that this morning. Good. It was Good. hilarious. So, we're done with pinball news. So, we talked a little bit about writing and pinball. So, I want to talk a little bit about pinball magazine number five because I have finally finished reading the entire thing. So. Uh, and I remember Jonathan, the editor, had contacted me way back uh, when it was first apparently being sent. My first copy, I think, got lost in the mail. He actually had several from that batch that didn't get to where they were supposed to go. Yeah. And then so but eventually I got I got my copy of the magazine. So uh, let me start with just some general thoughts. And I've now loaned it to t- Tony hasn't had a chance to read any. of Yeah, it it's sitting it's right beside me. Yes, he's got <clears> it so he can take it with him because it is huge. It is, as they say, more like a book than a magazine. There are pros and cons to that, though, and I want to I want to be fair with it. So let me. You know, start. it kind of looks like one of those. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the the, the big wedding magazines mm. that that you'll see. Yeah, pick your gown, Tony. Yeah, I think that you'll look good in a traditional like cream. No, I'm 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 a I'm a red guy. I'm oh, a red guy. Okay. So, um, it's massive. The quality is is very very good. In terms of like the paper, the covers, the the look of the photos in it, um, the editing work is solid. 
you can tell in my view that it's it's a one man show who's really doing all of the editing. There are a number of errors that stood out to me while I was going through it, like uh lines that kind of repeated on themselves a bit. Nothing nothing substantive in a really distracting sense, but but enough that I I, I wasn't like going through it with a red pen. I noticed it while I was just casually reading it. Uh, so I'd say present, but not distracting. I think the overall layout choices were good. Uh, and it, uh, so you could, you could see the experience behind it. So bottom line is I thought it looked pretty professional. Um, my takeaway on the content of, of pinball magazine number five, this is the one with the cover dedicated primarily to Wayne Nyans though. You see a few other people in the, that have articles as well that are represented on the cover page. It is in my view, way too heavy on Wayne Nyans. Because this is a magazine and not a book, I felt that it really did not need more than the interview that it had with Wayne. And and here's why. Uh, the magazine goes through an extensive, extensive interview with Wayne. It, got, it walks through every single game that he did with the company that got produced, it walks through a lot of the transitions in terms of when he first got into the industry before he was even with Gottlieb up through when he was chief engineer it has some of his general thoughts on the current state of the hobby. It's, as I said now for the third time, extensive. Let me set aside any critique whatsoever to the interview in terms of how it flows, how long it is, how it was edited. Let me just set all that aside. That alone is such a huge part of the magazine that I feel it's it's unbalanced. It's unbalanced. It's too tilted towards talking about Wayne Nyan. So you run into a situation where if you're not into Wayne Nyan's, you're going to have a lot of trouble going through and digesting this magazine. So here's part of the challenge, though, because you have that big interview, which is the biggest piece about him. However, there is a sizable article that a historian wrote about Wayne Nyans that happens before the interview. The problem that I had is because it's a, it's like a book and I read it sequentially. I read the article from the historian and then I read the interview from Wayne and it's just duplicative. It's like Wayne touches on practically everything that the historian touched on. So it's just, I felt like I was reading the same stuff over and over again. And it was weird. I was like, why was there an article from the historian in at all? If you're doing a comprehensive interview with the primary subject, I thought it was an odd decision. Uh, set also, and I, Tony and I, and I actually talked a little bit about this because I mentioned it because as I noted, I, I write articles as well in pinball. I write a number of articles that, uh, have been historically oriented. I actually had someone once on social media criticize one of my articles. He felt he, he used, he used more words than this. I'm going to describe it as he felt that I was cold. That's how I describe it. He felt that my writing was emotionless and that I was too fact oriented in how I present information. And those are fair criticisms. My problem with what this historian did was it was too emotional. I've never seen so many exclamation points in an article. And that's a Tony's chuckling a little bit because I, I pointed it out. I just turned to a random two pages and I pointed out all these sentences that were just like exclaiming things and being excited. And that's just a difference in style. I don't like articles, historic articles that are written with a preferential tone, like siding with the subject. 
You want to say something's impressive, you can say it's impressive, but you then present the data of why it's impressive. You're not, you don't just go, that's incredible, exclamation point. Exclamation points are like my least favorite form of punctuation, period. Least. I use semicolons. I use semicolons more than exclamation points. I, no, it's just, no, I just, but that's, this is just me. So bear in mind, some of this is just my particular opining. So I didn't care for, while the content was great, I didn't care for the structure of the art, of the historical article. And then I definitely did not care for the interview following it and then just duplicate. It's just the art. I felt the historical article could have been shed, even if it was written in my preferred style. It's just, you had the interview. You didn't need it. After that are kind of some testimonials about Wayne Nyans. Not even everyone really knew him. So right. it was, again, we've already, by the time you get through the historical article and the interview with him, you're 250 pages in to a 360-page magazine, and it's just too much. Those should have been dropped. They didn't, you didn't need them. I get it. It's a, it's really celebrating Wayne Nyan's life. And it's maybe at, there's maybe an extra complication here because Wayne is still alive and he received this, but it's a magazine. It's not, uh, it's not something just for one person. And it was just way too heavy on him. Um, the rest of the magazine with the non Nyan's material is much more with what I associate with a, a traditional magazine. And I was always more of a p- person who would read like time. Or, or Newsweek or things like that. So there were a lot more topical variety in the rest of the magazine and the size of the pieces also varied quite a bit more, but it's very skewed to interviews. Almost every article in this magazine, really other than the first historical article and the testimonial pieces are interviews. So my overall verdict, Tony, for you, when you look through this is Pinball Magazine number five is an excellent choice if you want to know about more about classic Gottlieb and Wayne Nyans, it's also great if you love to read interviews. But if you really don't like the EM era or hate Gottlieb or hate Wayne for whatever reason, I don't know how you could, but if you did, this you did, is not, some this is not the magazine for you. It's got way too much on Wayne Nyans to be considered, in my view, a true variety magazine. And it's so interview heavy that if you were hoping for things like opinion pieces, and uh just like there's only only one historical article and it's got the interview subject on it so that's kind of moot it's just there's really not a lot of other stuff going on with it to fit what i consider a traditional magazine but the production quality is excellent so if you're interested in learning about wayne and i learned a lot from it then it's a good it's a good choice to read but just go in understanding that it's the wayne show and everything else is just attacked on interview which, I mean, as long as you know that's what you're going for, that's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see with the size why it took him over a year since Pinball Magazine number four to come out with this. Because holy crap, there is a lot of content. Yeah, it looks impressive going, just flipping through it. That, but that much Wayne heavy stuff, honestly, at that stage, I feel that, uh, it might have been a better, better marketed, better use of the material to have actually compiled a book being a biography of Wayne. I mean, this is long enough to be a book. You might as well do it and then just do more of a variety thing on the, on the magazine rather than push this page limit. But again, these are just personal choices I would have made. I'm no editor. You used to do layout and stuff with newspaper. I work. did do layout and stuff. So, I, I did a lot of layout and so stuff. So it'll be interesting school. after you go through it, just what to hear what your thoughts are on it. Cause really there's not a lot of print material that covers pinball anymore. And I think this 
this effort, Pinball Magazine, is really seen currently as the creme de la creme within our hobby. So it was uh, it was neat. I'm I'm glad I got a copy though. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going through it. But anyway, that's my my personal opinion on that. And uh, we only have one more thing in pinball, Tony. Yay! Twenty questions. Twenty. For those that that's don't seven. know, but everyone, no one can see your fingers, so no one cares. Um, we'll start with Tony getting to ask me a series of yes or no questions. <sighs> it will be about a pinball machine. For the first fifteen questions, it's closed book for Tony. But then after. The 15th question, he can turn to his laptop and start doing searches uh, at any resource that he wants to help him sleuth out the answer. So go ahead and ask your first question whenever you are ready. Is it an EM? Yes. Of course it is. You had your run of I know easy, I had my run of easy, easy ones. Stern, so you're gonna uh, have to you're gonna have to suffer for a little bit. You're gonna have to suffer. Is it a Gottlieb? No. Is it a Williams? Yes. Is it from 60 to 65? No. 65 to 70? No, that's question five. 70 to 75? Yes. So they have two flippers? Yes. Let me rephrase. No, you don't get to rephrase. It has two flippers, Tony. Okay. Is it sci-fi themed? No. Is it card themed? No. Is it sports themed? No, that's question 10. Is Is it from 70? No. 71? No. 72? No. 73? No. 74. Yes, that's question 15. You Holy may now crap. you may now search. <laughs> wow, that was quick and brutal and don't have nearly as much information as I normally have. That's uh going to be a little rough. No, nah, I don't know. It shouldn't be too you horrible. You have the year. So. I have the year, so that's going to that's going to help. So, looking at a Williams from 74. Is it Skylab? Yes. It's the only game I've played that entire list. Yep. Woohoo! It's not sci-fi, though, because it was real. Yeah. No, I can see that argument. So, question 16, Skylab. For those that may not know, because it was quite a while ago, I used to own a Skylab, so Tony played it several times. Uh, Yep. I said I pulled the whole list up, and it's like I. And I knew you were nervous when you realized that it's like two flippers. It's like unless I'm going back to some really weird single flipper Harry Williams game, they all have at least two. Flippers. I know. I, I said that. I'm like, oh <laughs> bugger! I misworded uh, that because normally, because normally I'm I'm does it have more than two flippers? Yes, is how I normally right. ask. It, it is, but 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 yeah. it worked out. It does just yeah. have two flippers. Yeah, so. no, that 1974 May game, uh, Steve Cordek design. It was a good game. I didn't mind it. Um, I, uh, yeah, there's, it's got like five captive balls are trapped in the middle and that takes up so much space. There's really nothing else to do, but go for them. That's right. my frustration with it. But, right. No, but I it let me work that. on my post passes and stuff. So it was a good game to learn on. I don't miss it though. That was actually my very first pinball machine to ever own. My brother-in-law found it at a used video game store that was going out of business and sent me a message and then I got it and then I had to fix it. And then I, uh, it was working, but I broke it by the time I got home. And then that's when I started to learn about things. And then I was like, Oh wait, there are also solid state games. So my second game was a solid state game. Okay. Do we want to do this on your side? If you, we wish. haven't done that in a while. I I, I've typically been just not going, but well, let me minimize my <clears throat> window. Not that I imagine you're going to ask me Skylab, but it could happen. I've considered it. In the past, 
Not Skylab, but I've considered immediately following it up with the one you just asked ah, me. Yeah. And it always seemed tacky. So well, I haven't done it yet. Yet. All right. Is it electromechanical? No. Is it a dot matrix display or more modern? So let me rephrase. Is it a dot matrix display or... Yeah, let me just say that. Is it a dot matrix display? No. Is it from 1980 to 1990? Yes. Is it a Gottlieb? No. Is it a Bally? No. Five. Is it a Stern? No. Is it a Williams? Yes. Is it from 1980 to 1985? No, it is not. 1986 to 1988? Yes. Is it 1986? No. That was question number 10. 87? Yes. Is it a Barry Osler design? Yes. Is it Space Shuttle? No. Yeah, I think that's earlier than that year anyway. Um, is it Pinbot? No. Is it Comet? No. That was 15. Mm. So you can now use yeah, resources. This is a first. So I will use my resources. I ain't too, I ain't too proud to beg. <laughs> Let me get my Williams list up. Whoops. Not that one. That name changes makes it, makes it weird. And we'll just do all years. And then we will pick our 1987. Is it fire? It is. Oh, what a turd. But it has an exclamation point. Yes. (laughs) Good pick. (laughs) I have played it. Yep. Um, We saw that really nice one at Texas two years ago. Was it two years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think I've played it another time as well. Um, Oh. Eh, symmetrical play field. It's I, the theme is cool, but that's really all that's going for it. But that was a good one. Uh, I, I'm not a big, broadly speaking, I'm not a huge fan of Ostler games anyway. Yeah, uh, it's a mix. But let's see. That's one that had been in my mind to use for one in the in, in the past, but I didn't. But after our the discussion we just had on the magazine, you're talking about exclamation points. I remembered Firehead exclamation mm. point in its title, and uh, Pinbot was eighty six. So and space shuttle was space shuttle was eighty seven. So space shuttle was the right year. I was wrong when I doubted myself. So I guess it was good that no, that was space station. Excuse me, space station was eighty seven. Shuttle was eighty four. Eighty four. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of remember the last time I played space shuttle actually, but fire power or fire fire stuck with me a lot more. Yeah, not in a good way, but. Okay, wow. So we both had to go to question 16. That's a first for the you. The first we've ever tied. It is the furthest I've ever had to go down, yeah. I just, um, I spent way too long on a, well, you know, it just depends on where I go with which manufacturers. And right, and if you get lucky, if you if you get the year guess, if you get the year guess immediately, that, yeah. that saves a bunch yeah. of questions. That's, that's why we have 20 of questions. Them. The thing that I have to wonder is, would I have gotten it? If I didn't have the resource, and I don't know that I would have, because fire is not a top tier ostler that I right. think of. So may, maybe though, because if I had the years, that would have ruled out a lot of the stuff I know no, he did. Right, but yeah. but still, it would have been yeah yeah no. Without the resource, without the resource, I would never get anything. Mm-hmm. Well, we're done with our pinball segment now, but before we go formally into the video game segment. I want to use a transitional segment, and this was suggested by friend of the show and former guest host, Jason Knapp, and he thought we should be doing a holiday gift guide. So I figured, we're before Christmas, 
Uh, probably too close to Christmas for you to successfully order any of this stuff. So let's do oh, yeah. it now. That's the best time to but do hey, it. But hey, there are other times a year that you want to give gifts, and not everyone gives gifts for Christmas. Some people are celebrating other holidays that happen later. So we yes. can do this now. And it's going to be a mix of stuff related to video games and pinball. So I put it in sort of as a transition uh, to talk about. And there's going to be links in the show notes to these particular items. And there are really only four things I wanted to, to note. Um, one of them, and this one was from Jason, and I'm sure it was a direct dig at me and my premiere games, but uh, there is a Gottlieb sort of storefront at Cafe Press. It has shirts, keychains, clocks, coasters, and mugs uh, themed around famous Gottlieb pinball machines. Oh, a lot of them, the true classics, not the stuff I have. Right. So, so it's a uh, it's something for you guys to consider if you happen to have an EM collector that you know. Or perhaps there's a someone who's fighting against the darkness with their lone Gottlieb flashlight. And, and Cafe Press is one of those nice sites because you can find a little bit of everything there, honestly, uh, uh, for anything if you search for it. There's always so much stuff that, to find there. Yeah, my sister keeps asking me why I don't put our uh, shirt design up and let people order t-shirts through Cafe Press. and. I've always been. I've actually never sold a shirt for the podcast. They've always been given out to those who are worthy. Yeah. So and going now, going up with that, I want to also put out another place like Cafe Press, uh, tpublic.com. If you go to uh, tpublic.com, they've got all sorts of pop culture t-shirts and stickers and this and that. But that includes if you just search pinball, they've got a ton of pinball related mm. stuff. Okay. So I'll be putting, and we'll have a link in there. I've got it already. Okay. Um, then on, on the video game side, I want to talk a little bit about uh, items we've talked about before, and that would be the NES Classic and the Super NES Classic. Those are the little tiny retro consoles of the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System that came out a while ago, especially the NES Classic. Uh, what I like about these is that I think they're really good for fans who remember those old historic classic consoles. They look like the consoles just shrunk. And it's, they both got popular games that were out on those systems, but they integrate really easily with modern HDMI television. So, I mean, if you want to do it cheaper, you can always do it, put together a retro pie. If you want to go true old school, you can always actually get out those consoles and get uh, things that will convert the signals and, and put them out on modern televisions. But this is the easy branded way to get things that look and feel like the originals, but with a modern sort of twist on how they sync up and are, and they're allowed to be played. Also, I just saw a couple days ago, Nintendo has indicated that after this holiday season, they are finally discontinuing both of these units and they do not plan to come back and make them again is the, at least the supposition. So 2018 holiday season is probably your last opportunity to not have to for sure worry about the scalper problem if you want to jump on what they are regularly retailing now. We ran into that problem with the NES Classic for quite a while until they rebranded it. And the SNES Classic started to have that problem, but then they actually got the production counts out better. Um, The NES Classic is a $60 console and it has 30 games. The Super Nintendo Classic is $80 and it has 20 games. It's... What it is. It, it's nice for the people who are looking for those specific things. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and then the, the final item I had just to point out in the, in the holiday gift guide is, is tilt cycle. This is back on the pinball side. That's, uh, Dan Burfield. He upcycles pinball parts into art. 
And so he's got a lot of stuff on his website in terms of things like nightlights to like sections of, of play fields that he turns into wall art. And he does do custom jobs. And I know I've talked a bit before about I have a, and that's sort of the biggest item I think a lot of people think of is getting a full play field populated with color changing LEDs. Um, those start at about $300 if you're just getting a simple wall hanging, but he'll make coffee tables and stuff as well. So you can actually commission him. You can send him a play field to use if you've got one in mind, but he also has a lot of old trashed play fields that aren't really good for anything other than art that are available. And he lists, he tries to keep that updated on his website. So again, it's way too late in the year for a custom job. I don't know what his average runtime is. When I contacted him, it was a two month wait, but. It's something to bear in mind if you happen to know someone who really would like to hang something like that up on the wall. Uh, but he's got things that are ready to go that are in his store that you can go and purchase. So those are just a few suggestions that we have. Yeah, there's, I mean, and there's the stuff that I think everyone probably already knows about who's into anything pop culture-y or geeky, like Jinx and Think Geek especially. They are, they're places that have a fairly large uh, number of video game related and pop culture related items that can be found for your uh, geeky needs. I know mm-hmm. I've ordered from Think Geek a fair amount of times uh, just for fun, interesting little things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've gone and looked at their stuff from time to time. I'd, Trying to remember the last time I bought from them. I'm not sure. I lose track. I know I bought from them several times. I, I lose I track of this been, stuff. Yeah. So, yes, so Jinx and Think Geek are good options as well. So, let's go and start talking about video games. Tony, you found there's been happenings. There you, has been You've happenings. been finding the happenings. And probably a good place to start is the one we sort of left off with last time, and that's Fallout 76. Yeah. Bad Gate. Yeah, Bad Gate. They finally, Bethesda finally decided to admit that there was an issue. And they decided that they would put it out there and they would cr- replace those those nylon duffel bags with the correct canvas bags that they'd initially said or said and shown were going to be part of it. Okay. Problem solved. Let's move on. Next time. Yeah, oh. it'd be great if that's how that had happened. Oh. Unfortunately, they set it up so that you had to put in a uh, support ticket with a picture copy of your receipt and all that stuff. Okay. So that you could be sent once once the manufacturing is done, they would send you the um replacement bag. Okay. That seems cool. It's yeah, obvious. Same, pretty Nothing standard. Nothing wrong with that. Except for they um messed up in their programming of their support ticket thing. So then when people started putting in their support tickets, they started receiving other people's support tickets in their or getting access to them. So suddenly they could see other people's names and email addresses and partial credit card numbers and home addresses and everything else. Mm. So Bethesda fell on their face again. They had to shut down their whole support system and do a quick patch, but... Well, at least the full credit card numbers were properly stored and it wasn't compromised in that regard. Yeah, no, they were only sending partials, but they were sending full addresses. Yeah. And full names. So we could do holiday hampers with all these people. Yes, we could. We could send every one of them a hamper with a canvas bag in it. Yeah. Yay. We can solve this problem. We could solve this problem. We We could could be the greatest podcast. 
How much money would it cost for us to solve the problem for Bethesda, do you think? Um, I would not be surprised if it cost you a Jersey Jack. Hmm. We cannot solve the problem for <laughs> Bethesda. It's unfortunate. We will have to remain in obscurity. And following up to Bethesda's woes with Fallout 76, during the Game Awards that happened a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Obsidian, recently purchased by Microsoft, mm-hmm. yeah. but they released their official announcement trailer for their new game that is prior to the Microsoft setup, so it was still going to be available on multiple systems. Yep. The Outer Worlds. Oh, wait, that's the Outer Limits. No, all right. Right. Outer Worlds. <laughs> now, the, now, the issue with this and how this hits Bethesda so hard is because the Outer Worlds is done, by is done A, by Obsidian, who are very well known because they did Fallout New Vegas. Probably, I would say most likely the most liked overall of the new Fallout games. Okay. That hurts them a little bit. It also hurts them that the original creators of Fallout, period, are on board on the creation of this game. Maybe a bit. They're not as well known as I think maybe hardcore fans. Right. No, I, I don't disagree with you. But, and you can tell from the trailer, the game has the kind of feel that you would expect from the Fallout series of games. The kind of campy jokes yeah. and this and that. Which Bethesda and... seemed to be moving away from. Right. They've been getting more serious. Mm-hmm. And this, now there are things. It's not an open world. From all the reports we've seen, The Outer Worlds is not going to be a big, huge open world game like Fallout New Vegas was. Right, right. But it's still going to be a decent-sized game, and the trailer looks awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm I was, I saw it and I thought, interested whoa, I didn't realize, I didn't know anything. I wasn't following what Obsidian had been working on, and I thought, wow, I actually want to play this. And I've been kind of, Fallout 4 didn't really click with me the way I wanted it to. I... I played a lot of it. I don't want to, but like the whole base building thing just kind of right. pissed me off. And I was like, why is this tacked on here? And Preston pissed me off. And it was just, but it still had the stories, which kept me, kept me relatively. Here's invested. the thing with Fallout 4. I'm going to, I've, I'm pretty sure I've said it on the, on the podcast Probably. before. I'll say it again. Probably. The changes Fallout 4 made from Fallout 3 in New Vegas for the, um, for how well it shoots, for its actual first person shooting stuff, and the way it handles power armor, I enjoyed a lot. Mm. The fact that they decided to go full voiced and got rid of all of the good RPG elements and the, the, uh, uh, trees that you could use for conversations. And letting you have skills that would modify those conversations and give you extra abilities here and there. I thought that destruction of the RPG element hurt them very badly. Mm. I think they made great strides forward with the actual gameplay. And then they destroyed the RPG element that made it fun. And they tacked on that terrible, terrible, terrible base building mechanic. And they didn't let me kill Preston. Yeah. There was a there were a mix of things, a mix. So of it it was not as good as it had any right to be. Mm. But the outer worlds may be as good as we hope it will. Be. I hope so. I've, I, I've learned to temper my hopes on all yes. things. Yes, good. Hopefully, you, it will turn out to be the thing. You have learned well. Now, mm-hmm. Steam has been the main. 
place to go for video games Mm -hmm. on the PC. Now, our listeners may not know that once upon a not that long ago, you were not a particularly positive person on Steam. No, I, I despised Steam when Steam first started. And for the first several years, Steam was in place. At one point when Steam first started, it required you to be online. And your games would not work if you were not online. Mm-hmm. Which was deeply annoying to me because I didn't always have good connectivity at the time. Yeah, Hey, that's what sunk Microsoft's Xbox One launch was their first day. And they didn't even implement that. And they still paid a hefty price yep, for that. Yep, just for, for saying the arrogance to. to say they would do it. Yep. So that was... That was then. Now I love Steam. I use Steam exclusively because I'm pretty much, well, I can't say I'm PC exclusive anymore. I mean, I've got a Switch and I've got a PS4 now. That's true. And you're also not Steam exclusive because for a number of years, big games like games like Overwatch aren't on Steam. Right. Uh, they tend to be on their own individual like Battle.net. Yep. And there's a couple the Origins. Of origins and that, yeah. There have been a few. There's been a few. Big publishers can do it because they've, it's like, we are, we don't need to kneel to you. We can make our own thing because we're so popular. People will turn to us. Right. And most of their systems have sucked. And in all honesty, I mean, there's also other small competitors. There's a uh, GOG, good old games, uh, that start out with just old games is all they did, like really mm-hmm. old games. And they, they'd actually bundle them and launch them with a, a, like a DOS box launcher so that you could run it and it would work on your system. Um, the Humble Store for the Humble Bundle Store now sells games as well. But Epic Game Studios, probably best known because they're the creators of the phenomenon that is Fortnite. Sure. Some of us more old school people know them for their very coveted Unreal Engine that a lot of companies turn to. Yes. And it, it is incredibly popular Unreal Engine. And it's a good engine. It is. And they've decided that they're going to start their own store to counter Steam. Now, the big thing here is they are going they are pushing their revenue sharing and how their, their how they take their cuts is the biggest difference. They are going to be much more indie friendly uh according to their announcements and they're going to be more friendly to normal publishers because their revenue cut is 12%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that seems like a decent chunk of money. Steam's is 30. Well, 30 for the little guys. Now, it was 30 <laughs> for everybody. It continuously was, yeah. Up until three days before the Epic Store announcement, Steam actually made their own announcement where they changed their uh, uh, setting as co- they sell copies. So they will take 30% of the first $10 million in sales. Once you cross $10 million, they're only going to take 25% once you cross $10 million. Until you hit $50 million worth of sales, after that, they're only going to take 20%. That's it. Okay. So, Steam's modifications impact hardly anyone selling in their store. Exactly. It impacts the largest of the large and the breakout insane indie games that blow up like Firewatch and Stardew Valley and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So what does this mean for the PC gamer as a whole? What does this mean for Steam? I think it's good in the long run. I don't think that Epic has the ability or the backing, even though you know, even though they were recently just valued at like fifteen billion dollars worth, thanks to the Fortnite and everything else. 
But I don't think that Epic is going to have enough pull to like destroy Steam. But I think that we're going to get a better overall uh, network of game sales available because Steam is going to actually have competition. So they're not going to be able to just do the, what are you going to do? Go to somebody else? We've already got everything. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll probably see some changes coming that are going to be... I don't think it's going to be bad in the long run. No, I, I don't I don't really see a downside to it. I I think Epic's decision is really smart for for a couple of reasons. For from the Epic perspective, I think this is really the only way that they could have launched a, a true Steam competitor. They can't they can't really sell the games for less. So the right. only thing they can really do is try and convince the creators that their platform is more friendly to them. So you need to come over and do it. Now, the main thing, though, is whether or not some of the larger distributors might look and say, well, Steam's got the bigger baked-in audience. We really need to stay with them. This seems like it's going to attract more of the indies. The problem there, that could be very good. I mean, ultimately, I think it's good for Epic, except I'm assuming Epic does not want to turn into some of the bad parts of Steam where it's like, I can't find anything anymore. Right. It's all, it's so full of trash. It's not curated. Right. It just feels, I look at Steam and I constantly, when anytime I turn on Steam, it's like, here's a bunch of announcements for games. And I'm looking at the homepage and I'm like, I've heard of three of these. Right. And everything else is indie trash. And everything else, yeah, isn't just as, as indie. It's, it's probably trash. I'm right. like, I'm not, I don't know any of these names. In fact, People are so sensitive on the curator side. That's been one of the criticisms to the PS4 and the Xbox One is they liberalized since the last generation. They started letting a lot more indies on. They reduced a lot of barriers, but people started to feel there's just a lot of stuff coming through that's not curated. They curate so much more than Steam. It's oh, yeah, not Steam even doesn't funny. curate anything. It's not even funny. Uh, so Steam puts, I mean, people use like RPG Maker and make something an RPG Maker and then put it up on Steam as a game and sell it for $15. But what this could also do is Steam is going to have to have, as we used to call it, come to Jesus meeting here and sit down and say, Epic has been, I've read the news, one of the news releases on this where they, where they were very blatant about, oh yeah, we've done our analysis. We know we make plenty of money with 12. 12% is no problem. We're going to make so much money with 12. I mean, that's practically what came across. Well, and that's the thing. 12% is, we almost feel like we're still too greedy at 12%. That's kind of how the vibe I got from it was. And then you've got, you've got Steam who's going to start for all intents and purposes is still at the 30%, more than twice as much. Right. It's, there's going to be there's going to be issues. There's a lot to be out. said for lowest bidder. And and Epic has worked in an extra deal because if you make a game and you release a game using the Unreal Engine, you owe Epic Games five percent of your sales. If you make a game with the Epic uh, with the Unreal Engine and you release it on the Epic Studio, you don't owe them that five percent. Mm. They'll just take the twelve. They'll just take the twelve. So. You save on your licensing fee, exactly. Basically. Okay, that that yeah. There are a lot of really moderate tier indie games that are relying yeah. on the Unreal Engine. Not not AAA. We're looking. No, no. This is going to be a home. But the like Unreal Engine is such that small teams can use it and make things look polished. That's why it's so popular. Mm-hmm. Is that it's a really polished looking engine. They did because they made the engine. They did all the work. You skip that step, right? So, 
Okay. I, you know what? I think this is probably, in my view, the most significant challenge to Steam that Steam has ever faced. I agree. Since they it, it basically is. monopolized the market. It is completely their, their biggest challenge. And it's going to get even harder for them mm-hmm. because the Epic Store's already announced three exclusives. Mm. One of which is going to be hard. It's, it, it is a full one year exclusive Super Meat Boy Forever. Okay. Well, they're, they're a darling indie studio. And they, they are. And they will sell more than $10 million in sales. Oh, yeah, easily. They've also have, uh, an exclusive on Ashen. Okay. And Supergiant Games new game Hades went into early access only on the Epic Store. Okay. I don't know from what I've heard if it will be once it goes into full release, if it'll only be on the Epic Store, but the early access is only on the Epic Store. Cause that's another thing is the Epic Store is set up specifically where Steam tacked on some stuff. So if you have early access, you can talk to the game producers and this and that. Oh, probably to help them with right. development. Epic Games designed their store so you have a direct conduit when you're in an early access game for that contact mm. and moving okay. back and forth. So, yeah, this is going to be one of those things that is going to make it uh, put up or shut up time for Steam. Yeah. I mean, worst comes to worst, if both of the stores are successful, it's not a big deal. People will just have both clients installed on yeah. their computer. It's really not a big deal. Right. It's not. It, it's just like having bat. I mean, I battle net on my computer now instead of just, it's, I can still have a shortcut to any game on my desktop. Just double click it and go to the game. It's right. Not, and that's I what I do. About, I don't have to think about I, it. I do things the exact same way and I'm not worried about it. I'll go, I'll buy it wherever it's the better. Mm-hmm. Whatever it's the better deal and wherever, whoever has what I want. That's why I've got Battle.net and, That's right. and everything. So, sorry, Steam. You're going to, you're going to have to make some bigger sacrifices than this. You guys might have to actually go Valve and start making some games again instead of just relying on your cash cow. Yes. They're Ooh. going to have to. <laughs> and our last bit of video game news. It's been a tough year for Blizzard. Uh, not as tough as it's been for Bethesda, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blizzard's year was going really good up until BlizzCon. Then they took a couple punches. I mean, they're not out of it. They're not down. They haven't been rocked nearly as bad as Bethesda, but it's been pretty rough. Yeah. And they just made a final announcement for the year that it makes it even rougher. They are pulling large portions of the development team for their MOBA Heroes of the Storm and redeploying them to other projects. Well, as far as MOBAs go, my understanding is Heroes of the Storm is not a particularly popular one. No. It is It is definitely in the number three spot mm-hmm. of the big three. If it's not in the a number dis- four a spot. Distant, it's a distant, a distant three. Distant three. <laughs> League just, of Legends and Dota, and Dota are, yep. are the top dogs. And they, and they mean, have been for years. Right. And, and, and they're going to remain to be. But this change has been, is big enough that... There's going to be some serious issues, and there's already been a little backlash. Um, in their statement, they say, and I quote, Despite the change, Heroes of the Storm remains our love letter to Blizzard's worlds and characters. We'll continue actively supporting the game with new heroes, themed events, and other content that our community loves, though the cadence will change. Ultimately, we're setting the game up for long-term sustainability. We're so grateful for the support the community has shown from the beginning, and the development team will continue to support heroes of the heroes with the same passion, dedication, and creativity that has made the game such a unique experience. End quote. Okay, so they're not they're not putting it on end of life in terms of that they're they're still going to plan to do some updates. Obviously, with a reduced team, it's not going to be as aggressive, right? 
And that's the thing is, as of la- as of when this announcement made, it had been six weeks since the last hero was released. And that's the longest there's ever been between heroes. Okay. And it's going to be a while. So long. the transition has probably already happened. Correct. But that all sounds happy. Like, well, we're, we're not, we're not killing it, but we're gonna, right. we're just, we're, this isn't our main concern. We're right. gonna keep it sure. going. They've always and done this. And I'm sure they they're gonna that. keep it going. They always move teams around as they need to, to the more upcoming projects. But in addition. It's, it's normal, Tony. It's normal. It's normal. They also announced that they're ending all esports that has to do with Heroes of the Storm. They've totally given up on Heroes of the Storm. They, they've thrown in the towel. Yeah. That's the sign. Uh, that made it clear that it doesn't matter if they're still going to occasionally plug in a, a hero. This move means Heroes of the Storm is, as again, we say in the industry, lull casual. Yeah. And because, that's exactly what they've done. Because MOBAs are about esports. Now, maybe this is just a case that Blizzard has looked, they've run the numbers, they've seen that Heroes of the Storm has not successfully taken market share from Dota and or League of Legends. And they're probably seeing a lot more results on the esporting side for their Overwatch game. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, we, we would rather play str- my hope as an Overwatch fan, as an Overwatch League fan is they want to play harder on the team based shooter side, which is a market they own. Yes, it is. And have recognized that they did not get the penetration that they needed for the MOBA side and that it's not worth the investment in the prize pool money and running these championship leagues and such. So, but this is an aggressive pullout. So they've, been, they've given up on the esports side. And because of how MOBAs are, if it's not an esports competitive MOBA, I don't see people seriously playing it. Right. And here's the thing. And it was never a competitive esports thing. Their, their views, even like, like their grand championship views for their, um, uh, heroes global championship for like the finals. Was pulling less than fifty thousand viewers. I mean, we've seen just standard week Overwatch weekly Overwatches that can pull up over those numbers. Oh yeah, and so, that, I mean, and that was just that was just not important games. That wasn't finals. Yeah. That was just trash sure. in the middle. Overwatch of the contenders games. out of North America can get five thousand viewers on it, and that's the amateur. That's triple A, right? So no, this is they've abandoned this game. This game at this point, Heroes of the Storm, is. It's, it is, it is on life support. It's just like Diablo 3. It's not gone. They're not getting rid of it. They're not doing anything with it. Right. The thing is, since Diablo 3 isn't an esport game, I think that's more, people are more accepting that that's just normal end of life for a game. Whereas with this, well, no one was really playing it. So I think this will blow over. It just doesn't look the best because people, I think, are going to be hypersensitive to Blizzard ever since the Diablo mobile. Right. And that's where we're, and we're going to see where did they move these people to? I think that's going to be the big thing that comes out. I think most of these production people, according to the statement, they have secret projects that are in the works. They're, they're, uh, I guess, see, they're, they're non-announced projects. Let's go with that. Sure. As opposed to secret projects. Blizzard's not afraid of creating a new IP. Uh, so they're, they're, they're doing that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people were moved to, A, I think almost my guess would be a huge chunk of the esports team, especially the back team, will probably be shifted into places for league and contenders. Mm. Just if, sure. they, if they need more people because of the more aggressive schedule. Yeah, I could, they, and they may. 
uh, like I said, not not on air staff, but your back, your your backstage, your production people, because with them pushing their their how much they're running, their production people are going to be going continuously anymore. Um, so they could reinvest some of these prize money stuff into trying to do something a little more professional with contenders. Overwatch contenders is not. This is all right. Everyone will tell you about how you know reflexes youth like by the age of 28 you're starting to decline on what your your peak reflexes can be and all right that. but and which how important that is in particular games varies on the game i mean look at the game of pinball it's very reaction based but some of our very top people are people that are you know well over 40 so that said the bigger challenge that esports has is unless you're winning championships you can't often make a living at it. Overwatch League's big claim to fame was we're doing this like a professional sports league. Everyone gets at least $50,000, mm-hmm. which is plenty to live on. So, but Contenders doesn't have that. And in Contenders, if, so if you're trying to get into Overwatch League and you're not good enough, you're in Contenders. But Contenders is not a cash cow. You, don't, you can't make a living at Contenders. So it's mostly kids living in the basements trying right. to trying to become Overwatch League worthy. And then they could make their own living. That's not a great farm system. No. Baseball I, doesn't have that farm system. A AAA ball player makes a living playing AAA ball. Right. I think what we're more likely to see, um, and they've already shown some of that. And they showed some of it in Hearthstone, or not Hearthstone, but in Heroes of the Storm. Because in addition to the big main Heroes of the Storm championship thing, they had what they called Heroes of the Dorm, which was specific for collegiate players. Mm. And we've already seen in um, that there are specific collegiate teams in Overwatch because we've seen several times where there have been um, show matches between some of the league teams and uh, on college campuses with the college teams there yeah. and this and that. And I think that that's something we're probably going to see as the most likely growth spot for that kind of thing, like contenders, is collegiate teams and the minor league teams from the Overwatch League teams, like the Hurricane and the, the I don't remember, XL2 and... Yeah, Gladiator. I mean, a lot of them yeah. have them. A lot of them have their farm team. Right. I, I, but I think those farm teams and then maybe a starting, a smattering of like actual collegiate teams or something we're going to start seeing in the contenders level and the straight amateur, a bunch of guys spread all across the country in their mom's basements or in their, in their apartments playing is going to start to slide to the wayside. Hmm. Yeah. We'll have to see. Because that's kind of where football and basketball are in the professional sports league is the number of people who move up without going through the collegiate tryout, collegiate polishing stage is rare. Right. Well, I mean, it depends on the sport. Baseball very much still has their farm system in their lower tier games. Basketball and football use college as the recruiting ground. And basically, you're either a pro or you're nothing if you're no longer in college. Right. So, and some of those might do. But there's arena football, man. Sure. And just like how hockey has, like, well, you can always go play for the Canadians or whatever. I mean, not, I mean, they're all Canadians almost and (laughs) Russians, but, but when when you go in terms of some of the, you know, other leagues, easier leagues. The the, the Saskatoon suck ups. Well, we reached the end of the show. We have a lot of content for people, but I'm sure they loved it because it's us. And we love you. Yeah. 
We do. You can always reach out to us, eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We're on facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram at eclectic underscore gamers. We're also on Twitch as eclectic underscore gamers. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that will be where we will probably be in two weeks, assuming everything gets hooked up right. And it will because we know what we're doing. Yeah. And you'll be able to watch the live stream. We'll put more information out on Facebook definitely locking in times and stuff it's not we're not going to keep it vague like we are right now right because right, we, we right. we're still playing with right we have to right yeah now. we have to figure out everything exactly but currently just expect for it to be on the 30th of sunday yes. 30th of december so i'm dennis i'm tony bye bye